service with prayer today, and as always, there's a lot to pray about uh, in the time of the world that we're living in. So we want to pray for our state, local, and national leaders. Uh, pray for our church and our church family. Uh, we have several in our church family that have either been directly exposed to COVID and are sort of self-quarantining to see how that goes, uh, or are are already positive. As you know, Caitlin tested positive yesterday, and so our family is sort of self-isolating, so be praying for for us. Uh, pray especially for Lizzie. We want to make sure she stays safe in all of this, and we don't kind of get in the mix and, and pass it off to her. So pray for our church and our church family. Uh, pray for the other churches in Guymon. Again, every church in Guymon has the same sort of issues we've got going on right now with people that are exposed or are positive. So pray for them as they try to navigate it. Pray for our, pray for our Texas County Memorial Hospital, the staff, and all of our health care workers. Pray for our, our Dunaway Manor. Pray for Dan Stiles and the board and the staff and all of the, the residents there. Pray for the teachers, uh, the students, and the local school boards. Unless I'm mistaken, this week is when the teachers are going to start their A-B schedule. So pray for them and pray for the parents as they push into that. Pray that as disciples of Jesus, we would have a righteous influence on the world around us and a righteous testimony before the world around us. Pray Americans would awaken to their deep spiritual poverty, uh, see their need for Jesus, and would actually turn to Jesus for salvation. Pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the American church that would launch them into their communities to be witnesses for Christ. Pray all of us would have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church this time. Pray people would see truth. Pray error would be exposed. And pray people with wicked agendas would be made weak. Of course, just confess sin in your life. Pray about burdens in your heart. We just we want to pray. Let me read to you from Psalm 96. It's one of our psalms for the day. Psalm 96 says, Sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sing unto the Lord, bless His name, show forth His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the heathen, His wonders among the people. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Give unto the Lord, O ye kindreds of the people, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before Him all the earth. Say among the heathen, the Lord reigneth. The world also shall be established that it shall not be moved. He shall judge the people righteously. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad and the sea roar the fullness thereof. And the field be joyful. All that is therein, then shall the trees the wood rejoice before the Lord, before He cometh. He cometh to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with His truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love You today. You are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. We pray today, God, You would guide us in this time and help us to navigate these times. We would do what You'd have us to do in the way You'd have it done. Father, we do pray for those in our church, Caitlin, uh, Judy and others, Miss Landis and others, Lord, that have had this virus or have this virus and others, Lord, that, that have been exposed and are self-isolating, that they would be made safe and they would not get just overly sick with it. I, I hate to word it that way, but I don't know how else to pray it. 
Father, we pray that it would not gain a strong foothold in our church and that it would eventually be pushed out of our community altogether. We pray for our schools as they go into this new schedule and they try to make these changes they're going to make. God, the teachers, as they try to do all the work that's going to go into that. God, the the students, as they adapt to a new schedule. And God, the parents, as they have to make uh, adaptations as well. Father, we pray for our nation in this time. Lord, that You would protect it. Lord, that Your Holy Spirit would be poured out upon the church of this nation. The church would rise up, launch out into the communities. And Father, we would declare Your glory among the peoples of our nation. For truly, Lord, only a revival, an outpouring of Your Spirit is going to help and make a difference in our nation at this time. Politics won't fix it. Politicians can't change it. Lord, there is... Nothing about the election that is going to make America right. And so we need your spirit. We need you to guide us to rise up, to go out, to take the gospel, Lord, to the ends of our nation and to the ends of the earth. Father, have your way in this service. Bring glory to your name. Fill me with your spirit and help me to say what you had once said. Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, I remember the first time I shot a rifle. A real rifle, not a BB gun. It was a Ruger 10-22. We were at my Granny Doolin's house. And my dad set a, a can on a stump as a target. Now before I could shoot at the can though, Dad gave me this list of instructions on, on how to shoot. Right? He said, you know, hold the rifle this way. Put one hand up here and the other hand back there. You want your sight picture to look like this. You put your finger on the trigger just like this. You breathe like this. You hold your breath right before you pull the trigger. Then you squeeze the trigger like this. And after being allowed to, or after being given these instructions, I was allowed to shoot. I was maybe eight years old at the time when my dad first taught me how to shoot a rifle. Now you fast forward 10 years and I'm, I'm an 18 year old recruit at basic training in Fort Benning, Georgia. We have progressed to the part of basic training where we're doing basic rifle marksmanship. They are going to show us how to shoot the Army way. So they issue us an M16. They give it to us. They give us some rounds. But before they let us shoot at the targets downrange, they're going to give us some instructions on how to shoot. And as the drill sergeants gave the instructions, they said things like, you hold the rifle like this. You get this kind of a sight picture. You put your finger here on the trigger. On the trigger. You breathe like this. You hold your breath before you shoot. And you squeeze the trigger like this. Now they may have used more colorful language than my dad did as they tried to instruct us on rifle marksmanship. But essentially... They taught me the exact same things my dad had taught me. And they did this because whether you're shooting a, a 22 rifle or an M16, the principles of rifle marksmanship are, are basically the same. You hold the rifle a certain way, you look and you get a certain kind of sight picture, you, you put your finger on the trigger in a certain way, you hold your breath, you squeeze the trigger, you you kind of use the same principles whether you're shooting a 22 or whether you're shooting a 50 caliber sniper rifle. The principles of rifle marksmanship don't change much from one weapon to another, from one age to another. In a similar way, there are certain principles for spiritual warfare. And these principles are essentially the same 
whether you're fighting for just personal faithfulness to Jesus, or, or whether you're fighting for the souls of those you love so they can be one to Christ, or whether you're fighting so you can move forward in following Jesus. These principles really don't vary all that much. And what we want to do, we want to know what these principles are so we can fight the spiritual battles we will certainly have to face as we seek to move forward with Jesus. As we continue our study in the book of Joshua, we are going to look at, at a long passage of Scripture that gives us some principles, these basic principles of spiritual warfare that they will enable us to be able to fight effectively and over time eventually win the battles we will face. Now we're going to start in Joshua chapter 10, and I'm just going to read verses 28 through 33, but we're actually kind of going to look at the end of chapter 10 and all of chapter 11. Right, so Joshua 10 and verse 28 says, And that day Joshua took Makeda, and he smote it with the edge of the sword, and the king thereof, he utterly destroyed them. And all the souls that were, there, that were therein, and he left none remain, and he did to the king of Makeda as he did to the king of Jericho. Then Joshua passed from Makeda and all Israel with him to Libna and fought against Libna. And the Lord delivered it also, and the king thereof into the hand of Israel, and he smote it with the edge of the sword. And all the souls that were therein, he let none remain in it. But he did unto the king thereof as he did unto the king of Jericho. And Joshua passed from Libna and all Israel with him unto Lachish, and encamped against it and fought against it. And the Lord delivered Lachish into the hand of Israel, which took it on the second day and smote it with the edge of the sword and all the souls that were therein, according to all that he had done at Libna. Then Horam, king of Gezer, came up to help Lachish and Joshua smote him and his people until he had left him none remaining. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome, worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Lord, we come today as a people who want desperately to move forward following Jesus. We want to move forward in our personal lives. Lord, not to stagnate, not to sit still, but to move forward following Jesus, doing all the things He wants us to do. But Lord, we don't want to just move forward as individuals. Father, we, we are part of families, and we want our family, our, our spouses and our children, we want all of us to move forward following Jesus, all of us doing those things He would want us to do. But Lord, we're, we're not just even individuals or families. Lord, we are a church family, a church body gathered in Diamond, Oklahoma, devoted to doing Your will. And God, our church, we long to move forward following Jesus. We want to move forward so that we can see Diamond one for Christ. We want to do what You want us to do. We want to reach out to who You want us to reach out to. We we want to act in the ways you want us to act. God, we just want to move forward. And Lord, as we move forward, we know the enemy is not going to like that. As we invade his territory to try to take the light of the gospel to those who are trapped in darkness. He's not going to like it as we invade his territory seeking to, to snatch from the snare of the devil those he has taken captive to do his will. But Lord, we're not afraid. We choose to move forward anyway. We choose to go forward and fight the battles that will surely come as we seek to do Your will. 
So as we look at your word today, let your spirit illuminate our minds and let your spirit take the word and and sink it deep into our hearts. So we would learn these principles and we would live these principles out. Help us, O God, to be faithful to do your will. Help us, O God, to determine to do what you would have us to do no matter what. And Lord, I know we're not all gathered in the same building today, but we're still together. We're still here as one body at one time watching this. So Father, let your Spirit move among us today. Let Him open our ears and open our hearts and take the Word and apply it to our lives. Let Him strengthen those who need strengthening. Let Him encourage those who need encouraging. Let Him convict those who need convicting. Let Him save those who need saving. Let Him restore those who need restoring, God. Let Your Word go forth with power, with unction from Your Holy Spirit. Give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech and not to be a hindrance in any way to what You want said or what You want done. Have Your way, O God, we ask in the mighty name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Now, initially, we were going to look at the end of Joshua 10 as one chapter, or one sermon, and Joshua 11 as another one. But as I studied these two passages together this week, basically there were the same four principles in both sections. So rather than have... Two sermons where I say the same thing back to back. I thought I would include it. And we would just have one really, really, really long message. uh, So that we could cover all of these two chapters. Now, what we're looking at today are basic principles for spiritual warfare. And it is important we understand these as basic principles to spiritual warfare. And not as four steps to victory. Right? And here's why I say that. I really don't believe there are four steps to anything when it comes to following Jesus. Right? I don't think there are four steps to a powerful prayer life. I don't believe there are four steps to reaching the lost for Christ. I don't believe there are eleven steps to, to reach your community. And I don't believe there's four steps to fighting and winning spiritual battles. I believe though there are principles... We can learn and we can implement. And if we take these principles to heart, we faithfully live them out and we do them to the dead best of our abilities, then I believe victory will come. But it's not four steps. It is four principles to fight spiritual battles we will surely face as we seek to move forward following Jesus. Now, as we get into the passage... I want to do a bit of review. So first, remember, God told Joshua to take the Israelites across the Jordan River and God would give them the promised land. So God said, go, and they went. God then said, I'm going to give you the promised land, and God gave it with such a, a fervent promise. What He said was, Every place the sole of your foot shall tread is land I've already given you. It was theirs. All they had to do was get out and go. And then God worked powerfully. Right? We've already seen in this study God worked powerfully for Israel. Right? He had parted the Jordan River so they could walk through on dry land. He had made the the walls of Jericho to fall down. He had made the sun to stand still and had rained hailstones down on the Amorites earlier in chapter 10. 
Now despite the fact they were doing what God told them to do. Despite the fact God had given them great and precious promises about victory. Despite the fact God was working powerfully on their behalf. They still had to fight. Now this is critically important for us to understand. So often when it comes to spiritual battles, what we want to do is pray a prayer and then stand still and see the salvation of our God. And that's really not the way it works by and large. The instances in Scripture where all they did was stand still and watch what God was doing were very rare. The vast majority of the battles the people of God fought, they actually had to fight. Israel was going to be given the promised land. It was theirs. They just had to go take it. But the people were not going to just give it up. They were going to fight for what was theirs and Israel was going to fight for their God for what He had given them. So for us, the main lesson is we must fight spiritual battles If we want to win spiritual battles. Again, it would be great to say we could just pray this particular kind of prayer and stand still. But that's not the way it works. If we want to win spiritual battles, we actually have to fight the spiritual battles. Now this passage, and we're not going to go kind of verse by verse like we might normally do. We're just going to kind of skim around and look at these principles. So four principles... For fighting and winning spiritual battles. Number one, be strong in the Lord. One of the key lessons in the book of Joshua is the power of God. The book of Joshua is not about this great military leader named General Joshua and his army of Delta Force-like soldiers who conquer a hostile foreign country. It's not the story. Instead, the story is of a great God who takes a ragtag group of former slaves and nomads and leads them into a land He had promised to give them and enables them to have victory over established cities and established armies to declare and to show His great power and to fulfill His promises and to do His will. We saw earlier in Joshua 10 about the need for the power of God. But we see it again in the rest of Joshua 10 and verse 11. So we're just going to hit the verses. Look at Joshua 10 and verse 30. And the Lord delivered it also. Now look down at 10 and 32. And the Lord delivered Lachish into the hand of Israel. Now look down at 10 and 42. And all these kings and their land did Joshua take it one time. Why? Because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. Look at Joshua 11 and 8. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Israel. And look at Joshua 11 and 20. For it was of the Lord to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle. That He might destroy them utterly. And they might have no favor. But He might destroy them as the Lord Had commanded Moses. So while Joshua and the Israelites had to fight. And fight hard. They had to do it in the strength with which God provided. Now this is one of the first points the Apostle Paul makes in his great passage on spiritual warfare. Finally my brethren be strong in the Lord 
and in the power of his mind. Now, Paul lays great stress on our need for God's strength in spiritual battle. And he uses three words. Strong, power, and mind. Now, all of these words, in sort of differing ways, refer to God being able to exhort Exert the force needed to do something. Paul wants us to understand the strength, power, and might we need to fight spiritual battles comes from God alone. No matter how physically strong a person may be, no matter how emotionally strong a person may be, no matter how mentally strong a person may be, they do not have enough strength to fight and win spiritual battles on their own. Spiritual battles require spiritual strength, and it's the kind of spiritual strength God has and thankfully makes available to us. We must be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Now, how do we do that? How do we make sure we are strong in the Lord and in the power of His might? We must be intentional about maintaining a thriving relationship with Jesus. There is no spiritual strength from God apart from Jesus. Jesus is our source of strength and power. And we cannot find the strength, the power, and the might we need to fight and win spiritual battles apart from Jesus. This is why we have to do what's necessary to make sure our connection to Him is solid. That we are close to Jesus. Think about the parable of the vine and the branches from John 15. Right? Jesus said that if we're connected to Him... We can do all things. But if we're disconnected to Him, we can do nothing. In fact, we shrivel up and we die. Everything, 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 everything hinges on our relationship to Jesus. So how do we make sure our relationship with Jesus is strong, is close, is tight? Well, just some very basic things. Read the Bible faithfully. The Bible is God's Word for us. No, there are other books that are good books. I read lots of good books and articles. But God's the only the author of one of them, and that's the Bible, so we need to read the Bible. We must pray constantly. The Bible is God talking to us. Prayer is our talking to God. We cannot maintain a thriving relationship with Jesus, be close to Him without prayer. Make church a priority. There are a lot of institutions and organizations the world has produced, but only one of them was created by Jesus and bought with His blood. That is the church, which Jesus says He loves and gave Himself for. And then fast Occasionally, Matthew 18 and other places teach us that there are some spiritual battles we just can't win apart from fasting. Now, those are not new or revolutionary ideas. I know that. But they are God's appointed means of being strong in the Lord and in the power of His might because they keep us close to Jesus. Now, let let me say one thing about these four, reading the Bible, praying, church, and fasting. Oftentimes, these things are discounted 
in the power that they present to us, they bring to us as we seek to follow Jesus because of how simple and ordinary they are. And they are. Right? I mean, if, if I were to write a book on spiritual warfare and my chapter on being strong in the Lord and the power of His might was read your Bible, pray, go to church, and fast. Nobody would buy it. Because books on spiritual warfare, in order to be popular, they have to be outlandish. You have to do all of these really ridiculous kind of things that really have no basis in Scripture whatsoever. And the more outlandish they are, the more popular those sort of books become. But the problem with those outlandish things in those books is they're not rooted in Scripture. Therefore, they're really not true or right. A lot of times, we, in the modern American church, we are like Naaman in the Old Testament. Remember the story of Naaman? He had leprosy and he went to Elijah or Elisha to be healed. And Elisha told him, he said, hey, here's what you do. You go to the Jordan River and you dip in it this many times and when you come out, you'll be healed. And Naaman, Naaman was angry. He said, that's stupid. There's cleaner rivers in our homeland than there are than the Jordan. And one of his servants said to him, Lord, if, if he told you to go do some really big thing, you wouldn't hesitate. Why not try this simple thing here? Just see what happens. What can it hurt? And he goes and he does it. And lo and behold, he's healed. Just as the prophet had said. So many times we want to be like Naaman. We want, we like these wild outlandish kind of things. They often, I think, make us feel like we have an insight the rest of the world doesn't have. We know more than others. We're, there's these basic things that basic Christians do, but then there's the big things that, that really deep disciples do. And to that I say hogwash, hogwash, hogwash. Deep disciples do basic things over and over and over again. Because that's how you become strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. There is no winning spiritual battles apart from fighting spiritual battles. And so we must be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Secondly, we have to make obedience a priority. Everything God had commanded Moses to do, He passed on to Joshua. Joshua understood what was commanded of him to do, and he was careful to obey all God told him to do. Look at this. We see this throughout the passage. Look at um, Joshua 11 and 9. And Joshua did unto them as the Lord bade him, or as the Lord commanded him. Now look at Joshua 11 and 15. And the Lord commanded Moses his, or as the Lord commanded Moses his servant, so did Moses command Joshua, and so did Joshua. In other words, so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord commanded Moses. And then 23. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord said unto Moses. So over and over again in these victories we find Joshua did what God had commanded. It's interesting. When you look in the book of Joshua, you find they lost one battle. The whole time they lost one battle. The battle of Ai. 
Now, if you've been a part of our study all along, you probably remember why they lost the battle of Ai. It's because someone in the camp did not obey God. They did not do what God had said to do. They were unfaithful and disobedient. And so Israel lost. But every battle where they obeyed God and did exactly what God said, in every one of those battles, they won. I really don't think it will be any different in our life as we try to fight spiritual battles. As we seek to move forward following Jesus. Most everything... In our spiritual life, we'll start and finish with obedience. Spiritual warfare is no exception. It, it never ceases to amaze, to amaze me when I look in Scripture how often the theme of obedience is found. Now, we don't have time this morning to cover all of it. But the Bible says things like, when you view the Lord as He is, you're faithful to obey Him. But Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commandments. The Bible says, those who are saved, who are truly have been born again, they obey God. Obedience is, is rooted in every aspect of our lives. It is something God finds highly important. Look at this story. 1 Samuel 15, 22 and 23. Here's the story. God tells Saul to go and kill the Amalekites. It's God's act of judgment on this people for their sins against God and against the people of God. And so what happens is Saul leads his army and he goes out and he attacks the Amalekites and he kills all of the, and, and they're to kill all the Amalekites and all of the Amalekites animals, right? So leave nothing alive. So Saul and his forces, they go out. And they kill all the Amalekites except the king, King Agag. And he kills all the Amalekite stuff except for the very best of the flocks. Now, here's why Saul did what he did. In those days, when a king went out to battle and returned victorious, what they would do, the common thing to do was you, the conquered king... You brought back into your capital city, trailing behind like your chariot. So you're on a chariot. You're the conquering king. You're waving to the people. They're going, huzzah, huzzah. And then behind the chariot, in humiliation and in bondage, is the conquered king having to run along behind. And the people shout insults at him. They throw trash at him. It's this big thing to humiliate the conquered king. And then they bring them into the like the town square. And they bring the best of the flocks of the enemy's stuff. And they bring that in there. And they kill the king in front of the people. And the king, people go, woohoo, woohoo. And then they take the animals and they sacrifice the enemy's animals to their God as a way of saying, our God is awesome. And so that's what Saul was going to do, it seems. Now the problem with that is that's not what God told him to do. God did not tell Saul to do what we had always done, to do what everyone else did. God told Saul to just kill them all and their animals. And Saul did not do it. He partially obeyed. And 1 Samuel 15, 22 and 23 tells us how God viewed Saul's partial obedience. And Samuel said, 
Because Samuel goes and confronts Saul and says, why didn't you obey? Saul says, I did obey. And Samuel says, then what's the, the bleeding of the sheep I hear? Saul begins to make excuses and explain his reasons. And here's Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, to hearken better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as, as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Now notice the exact wording. Has God as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in simple obedience? Now the answer to that clearly is, is no. No, He doesn't. Right? What He's telling Saul is, all of your ideas about what God wanted are nothing. They're dumb in comparison to what God has said. Right? Your rebellion, your refusal to do what God has said, even though you think you had these good reasons for it, it's rebellion. And it's like witchcraft. And it's stubbornness. And it's iniquity and idolatry. And because of that, God has rejected you from being king. And the key lesson for us, nothing pleases God more than our obedience. Right, so nothing we do and we say, well, this is what I know what the Bible says. And I know what God has said to do. But here's what I think needs to be done. Here's what our culture would say. Here's what my friends would say. Here, here's what my, my boss would say. Here's what these people around me would say. And so I'm going to do it like that. To that, God would say that is rebellion and witchcraft and stubbornness and iniquity and idolatry. It's sin. It's just sin. Nothing we do will please God any more than just clearly obeying, or just obeying what He has clearly said in His Word. If we want to fight and win spiritual battles as we move forward following Jesus, we must determine we're going to be obedient to God no matter what. There, there is no victory for us Apart from obedience to God. Our plans. Our plans will not bring victory in spiritual battles. Our ideas will not bring victory in spiritual battles. Our actions will not bring obedience. Or will not bring victory to spiritual battles. It is God's thoughts. It is God's ideas. And it is God's will that guides our actions. That brings, brings victory in our spiritual battles. If we want to win, we have to fight. And if we want to fight in order to win, we have to make obedience to God the priority in our lives. Thirdly, refuse to quit. Now, we're not sure exactly how long the campaigns in these two chapters combine or take. But if you look at 11, chapter 11, verse 18, it says, Joshua made war a long time. With these kings. Now a long time isn't very clear. And like I said we're not sure exactly how long it took. And, and the temptation there for us. Is we look at the end of chapter 10. From verse 28 to verse 43. And then chapter 11. Which is only about 23 verses. And to say oh well. It's a pretty short battle. This only took maybe a day or two. But that's not the case. 
Most scholars that I read while studying for the message believe this took anywhere from five to seven years. It was a long time. So they had these promises from God. They were following God. They had God working for them. And yet they had to fight battles day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. It took a long time. The battles were not, the land was not conquered overnight. It was conquered through a series of battles which raged for many, many years. The spiritual battles in our lives are the same way. Rarely are spiritual battles won overnight. Most will take years of continual labor and effort and a commitment to see it through. I, I think with this, the how long it takes sometimes can depend on how long maybe if we're fighting to be faithful and there's a particular sin that has a foothold in our life, an ingrained habit of sin in our life. If I have given in to this one sin for ten years, I can't expect the battle against that sin to be won overnight. Right? If, I'm, if I have spent years neglecting my family, and now I want to move forward as a family following Jesus and repair all of that, Ten years of neglect and damage to our relationship can't be undone in a matter of minutes or days. It takes time. But it takes time. We must be willing to be in the battle for the long haul to fight and keep on fighting. Now, fighting spiritual battles is hard. Seven years of constant battle is rough. It is difficult. It is hard for us to do. And what can seem easier is quitting. Right? Because Joshua and them could have at any point just said, We've conquered enough. We're stopping here and we're not going forward. They could have done that. And it would have been far easier in the short run. But it would cause more problems in the long run. In our spiritual battles, Quitting is all quitting as far as the short run goes is always easier. It's always easier to stop now, especially when it doesn't seem there's any end in sight, and just say, Good enough, close enough, I'm too tired to move on. And it may stop the pain right here, right now, and it may get us off the front lines right here, right now, but it's not actual victory. And we never see the victory if we don't push through to the end. But if we persevere, we refuse to quit day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, eventually the battle will be won. Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not be weary in well-doing for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. The winning makes the battle worth it. But the winning doesn't happen until or unless we keep on keeping on. We have to refuse to quit to keep our eyes on the big picture that we want to reap this good we're fighting for. We want to reap holiness 
and faithfulness in our lives. We want to reap a, a family fully devoted to following Jesus. We want to reap the souls of our children and our grandchildren, our neighbors, one to Christ. We want to, we want to reap Guyman and Goodwell and Texhoma and Hooker, one to Christ. We want those things. And so we fight and we fight and we fight. Now quitting, as I said, could be easier in the long run. But it, it misses out on the victory at the end. One of my very favorite movies is the movie Braveheart with Mel Gibson. And there's one scene where the Scottish soldiers are about to desert in the battle with the British. Uh, they're afraid, they're outnumbered, they're outmatched, they're outgunned. And so William Wallace, he gives a stirring speech to, to rouse the people to go into fight. And he tells them, he says, I fight and you may die. Run and you'll live, at least for a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that one for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. You know, if we give up on the battle now, it will get easier now, for sure, no doubts. But there will come a day when we look back on the day we quit and we'll say, I wish I could go back and I would have kept fighting for personal faithfulness. I wish I could go back and I would keep fighting for the souls of my children or my grandchildren or my neighbors or my spouse. I wish I could go back and still fight to see Guyman won for Christ. If I could give it all back and go back to then, I would. We want to refuse to quit. So that at the end of our lives, as we lay on our deathbed, and the hospice chaplain comes to visit us, Talks about our spiritual life. Our words to Him can be, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. Winning spiritual battles requires us to fight spiritual battles. And this requires us to keep on fighting. There is no victory in quitting. We must refuse to give up. And then finally, so we want to be strong in the Lord, make obedience a priority, refuse to quit, and be ruthless. Now the people and the towns they conquered were mercilessly destroyed. You, when you read through the book of Joshua, you find that when they conquered a town, they usually killed everyone. Everyone. All in all, this is very, very brutal. But we see it over and over again. We won't look at all of them, but just in chapter 10. Right? Chapter 10 and 28, it says, He utterly destroyed, He left none to remain. 30, He let none remain. 33, He let none of them remain. 35, he utterly destroyed. 37, he left none remaining, destroyed it utterly. Utterly destroyed in verse 39 and left none remaining. Verse 40, he left none remaining, utterly destroyed. And you see this, it's repeated 
in chapter 11 as well. Um, specifically in verses 20 through 22, when it talks about he utterly destroyed them and their cities. Now, this wasn't Joshua's idea. This was, again, Joshua making obedience a priority. This is what God had told him to do. God had told them to destroy the people of the land and to show them no pity. Now, that can sound harsh to our way of thinking, but there was a reason for God's command. Turn with me to Joshua 23, just over a few pages. Toward the end of Joshua's life, and we'll eventually get here, but let me kind of tell you what's happened. At this point... The main fighting has ceased. They have conquered the main part of the land. They have broken the back of the bigger cities. And now there are just small pockets of the people of the land left. Joshua has distributed the land to the people. And so the people of Judah are to go over here where their land is. And they're to to kill people over there and to take the land. And the people of Issachar are to go over here and they're to take their land. So Joshua is reminding them of this toward the end of his life. And here's what he says. In Joshua 23 and 11. Take good heed therefore to yourselves that you love the Lord your God. Else if you do any wise go back and cleave to the who the remnant of the nations. Even these that remain among you and shall make marriages with them. And go in unto them and they to you know for a certainty. The Lord your God will no longer drive out any of these nations from before you. But they shall be snares and traps unto you. Scourges in your side, thorns in your eyes. Until you perish Off the good land which the Lord your God hath given you. So why did God tell them to utterly destroy the people of the land? Because God knew the people of the land were there. They would end up drawing His people into sin. They would draw them to idolatry. They would draw them to worship their gods. And if they began to worship their gods, they would begin to live like the people of the land, thereby incurring the wrath and the anger of God against His people, which is not what He wanted. God wanted them to remain faithful to Him so He could pour out all the blessings of the covenant upon them. God was preparing them. God was protecting them. By telling them to be ruthless in this way. God wants us to be just as ruthless about removing things from our lives that could draw us into sin. We must be ruthless because spiritual battles like physical battles are kill or be killed. Romans 8 and 13 says, For if you live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Think of the wording. Put to death the deeds of the flesh. And if we don't put to death the deeds of the flesh, we shall die. Right? So it is kill or be killed with our sinful nature. And again, notice this is not an easy kind of picture, is it? It's Kill or be killed, a fight to the death. This isn't, I I go to bed tonight and as I lay down and say my prayers, I I say, oh Lord, deliver me from my sinful nature. Help me to be faithful and pure unto you. And then we lay down and peacefully sleep and we wake up the next day and our sinful nature has been put to death. I wish, I wish that's the way it worked, but it's not. 
Our sinful nature does not die quickly. It does not die easily. And it does not die without a struggle to survive. We are to fight against our sinful nature with the same sort of intensity of a man fighting for his life. Imagine you wake up tonight in your house and as you're walking to go get you something to drink out of the refrigerator, suddenly out of the dark an intruder attacks you. What are you going to do? How are you going to fight? Well, the way you would fight then is the way you're to fight now. About your against your sinful nature, because it is just as much a life or death struggle. John Owen famously said, "Either you be killing sin, or sin will be killing you." And that's the reality of, of, of what it's like as a disciple of Jesus. Now, ultimately, this comes down to a choice we make: Am I going to hold on to something which could ultimately? Lead me into sin. Or am I going to get rid of it? Now, again, one more passage just kind of as an illustration about how seriously this is. You're probably familiar with the passage of the, the teaching of Jesus. If your right hand causes you to sin, what are you to do to it? If your right eye causes you to sin, what are you to do to it? Now, the, the, the point of the story isn't we're literally to cut off our hands and gouge out our eyes. Because if we did, we would be the, the one-eyed, one-hand people of God who still struggled with sin. The point is, if there is anything in my life causing me to sin, leading me to sin, I am to do whatever it takes, be ruthless about getting it out of my life because my spiritual life, my eternal life, my devotion to Jesus is worth far more than everything else. So will I, will you, keep in our lives something which we know typically draws us to sin? Or will we ruthlessly fight it and put it to death so we can win spiritual battles and be faithful to Jesus? If we're going to win spiritual battles, we have to fight spiritual battles and you have to fight dirty to win. You've got to be ruthless. Now, as I said at the beginning of the message, this isn't four simple steps to victory. These are basic principles. And I can't say how long it will take to win. How long it will take for the victory to come. But I know this. If we do our part. God will always be faithful to do His part. I, I, I want to quickly, and I do mean quickly, issue a, a, a brief warning before, we, before I, we close. In this chapter, in this book of Joshua, they do not fully do what God told them to do. Right, look at Judges chapter 1. Just look over a page or two. Judges 1. And Judges 1 picks up almost immediately after Joshua 24. So God has told them to, to drive out the people of the land. But look at Judges 1 and 21. And the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites. Now, continue over and look at verse 27. 
Neither did Manasseh drive out the inhabitants of Bethshan. And verse 28, they did not utterly drive them out. Verse 29, neither did Ephraim. Verse 30, neither did Zebulun. Verse 31, neither did Asher. Verse 33, neither did Naphtali. Over and over and over again, we find they did not fully drive out the people. They weren't completely obedient to the Lord. They didn't fight in His strength. They were not ruthless. And they didn't keep on. And we really don't see the long-term effects of this till we get to chapter 3. So look at Judges 3, verse 5. Now we are a few years into it. Joshua and his generation has passed from the scene. The next generation has risen up. And it says in verse 5, The children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. All the people they were meant to push out of the land. So they dwelt among them first. Then... They took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters and their sons. And then they served their gods. And then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, forgot the Lord their God, served Balaam and the groves. So they they didn't obey God. They dwelt among them. They made marriages with them. They worshipped their gods. And they began to live just like them. And if you've read the book of Judges, you know this leads to God's temporal judgment upon them. The the lesson for us is this. If we don't fight in God's strength, if we don't completely obey God, if we don't fight until the battle is won, if we aren't ruthless about removing from our lives what could lead us into sin, it eventually comes back to get us. The sin we don't deal with, the issues, the battles we don't fight, they don't go away. They stay there, crouching like a lion, Genesis says, seeking to conquer us. In the end, it is kill or be killed. It is fight to the end or eventually be destroyed by the sin and the battles we don't fight. The sin we don't fight in God's strength. The sin we aren't completely obedient to get away from. The sin we do not fight until we have victory. The sin we do not ruthlessly destroy will not go away. It waits like a lion stalking its prey. And then it pounces. Spiritual battles are not won on accident or by wishful thinking. They are won through continuous, intentional effort. To win spiritual battles, we must fight spiritual battles. Fight in God's strength. Fight in obedience to God. Fight ruthlessly and fight and keep on fighting. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love You today. You are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Lord, we need You to strengthen us, to encourage us, to help us to stay with the battle until it's won. To be strong in You and in the power of Your might. To not be sidetracked, to not be weary in well-doing. And to be absolutely and utterly ruthless, putting to death the sin in our lives. Give us the strength and the grace to do this. Help us to fight 
for personal faithfulness. Let us fight for the souls of our children, our grandchildren, our loved ones, and our neighbors. Let us fight to win Gaiman for Christ. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me mention just a couple of announcements and we'll be through. Right now, our plan to resume in-person gathering is September the 20th, uh, 2020. So we're going to take two weeks off because of the high number of people that have COVID in, in our midst. So we will still do live streams. So we'll continue to come back here for that. Also, of course, remember giving. Uh, you can mail your check to the church, Post Office Box 1707. Lavina will pick that up. Or you can give online at, at the Tithely address. It's there. It's on the church website. Or the church Facebook page, you can find it there. Lord bless you and keep you. Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Love you guys.